Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. I am so excited. Today I am interviewing Danielle Hamilton, and she is the much-promised blood sugar specialist that I've been promising you I would have on to uh, not only back up my claims, but to teach us a little bit more about blood sugar and how important it is both for our kids and for us, us for our hormones. And you know, like I'm on this tear right now because I'm skating through menopause and I'm determined to help you guys skate through menopause too. <laughs> Welcome, Danielle. Why don't you introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you? Yeah. Hey, Jamie. I'm super excited to be here. I absolutely love chatting with you. I love your message because I feel like we're just kindred spirits in this world and we've lived through it. We see it in all ends of the spectrum and all ends of that age spectrum. So yeah, I, I guess my start with blood sugar and all this, I was a kid of the 80s and 90s, low fat era. I was really into any sort of processed breakfast food, had my name on it. I used to say I had like, I didn't just have one sweet tooth. All my teeth were sweet. I was really into just processed carbs. If it was a processed carb, it had my name on it. And not surprisingly, I struggled with a lot of just childhood illnesses. So I was spitting up all the time. As a baby, I had eczema. I had a lot of ear infections, so many ear infections, so many antibiotics. Finally, my mom took me to a chiropractor and I stopped getting those ear infections because uh, my ears could drain properly. So just a little nod to um, all the parents out there with the ear infection kiddos. Chiropractic is really helpful. But my diet was playing a really big role, but I didn't know that. You know, we didn't know that back then. My mom was just trying to make sure that we followed the food pyramid and that, you know, low fat because that was what was important back then. And then senior year of high school, I got strep throat six times that year. I had to get my tonsils out. It was horrible. The next year, I developed really severe seasonal allergies. I mean, I was in college and my, you know, drinking and diet and staying up late, everything got worse. So not surprisingly, it was like more things, but your tonsils are connected to your immune system. So it was interesting that my tonsils came out. And then the next year I had an immune reaction, having these allergies and asthma, which I had never had before. And I just thought, you know, because my grandma got allergies late in life, like, oh, I guess that's in my genetics, you know, it's written in my story. So I moved to Miami, Florida for grad school and I was allergic to everything because now season for allergies was year round. And I was lucky enough to be allergic to palm trees. I didn't even know that existed, but I was allergic to palm trees in Miami, Florida. And so I was, you know, I kept asking doctors, like, why is this happening? Like, what's going on? No one could give me an answer. Everyone seemed to be like, oh, you know, it's genetics, oh, just bad luck. And that didn't sit well with me. So at this time, I was on three allergy medications. I was on two inhalers. I was getting allergy shots. I was so allergic to things. The allergy shots were starting to help. But then the next year, I started to have allergy symptoms again. They tested me. I was allergic to more things. I was going broke on copays, getting five shots because I was allergic to so many different things. They had to do five shots and so I actually asked them if I could have a nurse where I worked administer me the shots. She taught me how to do it myself. So I was giving myself five allergy shots in the stomach every other day. And this was my early 20s. And that's not even the full story. Like I had chronic sinus infections. I had PMS. I had acne. I struggled with my weight. Like I was falling apart. 
but, but, but all these things we consider just normal, right? Yeah. And like, I love how you said the child of the eighties or nineties, because guys, I don't know if you know this, but the dietary guidelines didn't come out till 1980. There were no dietary guidelines till 1980. And that's when chronic disease started to skyrocket. And the processed carbs, okay, what year did snack wells come out? Because the year we decided that fat was the devil, we decided to put sugar in more foods. And so snack well cookies came out. And I remember we, it was like free food. We were like, woohoo, it's low fat. You can eat the whole package. Well, then no wonder people started struggling with their weight and struggling with their acne and their allergies. But seasonal allergies get me all the time because that is one that we just buy hook, line, and sinker oh, I have seasonal allergies. Spring comes, the pollen bugs me. And I'm like, oh my God, since making dietary changes, I don't have them, which means I don't have to take Benadryl, which means I don't have to take coffee to counteract the Benadryl. (laughs) Absolutely. Like my biggest symptoms were that I was just chronically in a fog. I was so tired all the time from all the sinus infections and all these things. I would drop a pen at work and just break down crying. Like my tolerance for anything was so, so low. Snackwells came out in 1992, by the way, Google told me that. So yeah, I was this hot mess. I was working as a speech therapist in a nursing home at the time. And I was just looking at all my patients and doing all these chart reviews. I had to write down all their diagnoses, all their medications. I mean, that took me half my day. And then I see all these issues that they're dealing with and they're in their seventies, eighties, and nineties. And here I am 23 And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just saw this inevitable path being drawn in front of me. Like, this is my future if something doesn't change. And so by the grace of the universe, God, source, whatever you want to call it, I got this book in my hand called The Paleo Diet Solution by Rob Wolf. It taught me all about eating real foods, how the, the food pyramid is has a lot of you know financial backing and things like that, how processed food is not good for us. I grew up on processed food. At this time, I didn't know there were nutrients in an onion, Jamie. That's how removed I was from the nutrition from our food because it didn't have a nutrition label on it. Everything that I ate had a like a label, ingredients, all the things. And like I was just so removed from this. So I went paleo, meaning I took all the processed food out of my diet. I took out dairy. I took out gluten and grains. And it was like magic. The allergies went away. The asthma went away. I stopped giving myself shots. No more inhalers, no more medications. Never got a sinus infection again. It was like magic that my body, wouldn't you know, our bodies can heal themselves. We forget this. We think that our body is fighting against us. I've said many times in my life, my body hates me because it's like I was trying to do the right thing, but our issues are symptoms and that's our body's way of talking to us. And we need to learn to interpret these symptoms. So anyway, I was riding high, doing great, loving paleo life. And then I had a really, really stressful year. And all of a sudden I started to have all these weird symptoms. Like I was really, really tired all the time, waking up at like 11 AM when meanwhile, I would always like wake up with the sun. So that was very unusual for me. I was really fatigued. I lost my period for six months. My PMS was raging. I had horrible acne. I was gaining weight. I'm like, this diet just healed me of all these things. So what is happening here? Like, is it only stress? Because it felt like too much to only be stressed, although I knew that was a big component of it. So I was like, there's something happening. So I did a search on Google. And as it turns out, I probably had polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, over 10% of women have it. 
It's the hormonal imbalance that sort of drives those symptoms I was just talking about. For other women, it also can lead to male pattern baldness and facial hair because it's increasing those androgens or our testosterone, our male sex hormones, so to speak. So we get these imbalances and then get issues that might be sort of more associated with cisgender males. So I was trying to impact my testosterone, my progesterone, my estrogen. I could not make a dent in it. I was taking all these supplements and I was doing all the things that they said, like don't have gluten, check. Don't have dairy, check. Don't have refined sugar, check. So all the PCOS advice I was already doing with paleo. So I was like, I'll just paleo harder. Right. That's always the Yeah. It's always the solution. Let me just do this, the same thing, but just do it harder. It doesn't matter when any way of eating is not working for you. Yeah. It's do it harder. Vegan. I hear that carnivore. I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And so because nothing changed, nothing changed. And so finally my mom was like, why don't you just go to a doctor and just get some prescriptions and, you know, just to take the burden off, you know? So I did go and I said, listen, doc, no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. I think I have PCOS. Like I need help. And he goes, you have to lose weight. You do have PCOS. You have to take the pill. There's no cure. I was like, did I seriously pay you for this advice? Like what just happened here? So I took the prescription for the pill, which he forced me to take, ripped it up when I got in my car and was more motivated than ever to solve this myself. I did go temporarily on certain medications just to sort of keep my symptoms at bay. I was okay, but I really just didn't want to be on medications the rest of my life. Like I was always looking for that why. What do you think makes us different? Because there's so many people who will accept that and say, yep, uh, that's it. My doctor told me I need to be on this medicine. We're so the same like that. Like I'm, gonna, I'm a dog with a bone. I'm like, no, there's a reason behind this. There's plenty of room for pharmaceuticals. I'm not dissing all of that, but I'm like, what is the true thing that's happening here? So I wonder what makes us different. You know what I mean? Because some people really accept. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they do. And I don't know what made it me different. I mean, even when I was little, I used to think, how come my generation, we all have braces, but my mom's generation didn't like what happened there? Everyone in my mom's generation, almost no one had braces very rarely. And in my generation, you walked into my middle school, every kid had a silver mouth. I noticed that. I noticed like I had glasses when I was young. I wouldn't have had those if it were like hundreds of years ago. They didn't have glasses, right? Or like, you know, multiple hundreds of years ago. They didn't have that. So I was always like sort of looking at why is it this way now? And same thing when I was working in the nursing home, I'm like, these people wouldn't have had these things. So what's going on here? Like, it just struck me. Like I was inquisitive and I guess I feel like I'm, you know, I'm an Enneagram one. We are the reformer, the improver. I always want to be improving myself and I'm very sensitive to things and I like things to be just my way sometimes. And so (laughs) I guess like I was suffering and I wanted to find the cause of the suffering because the band-aid approach that they were giving me I didn't feel good. Like it wasn't fun for me to take allergy pills because I was still suffering. I was suffering from, you know, I know there's side effects to them. I was like in a daze. And so I was like, I want to look for like a solution if it exists. I didn't know that it existed. So I was sort of lucky that there was. So I want to be able to learn my body so much that I can heal it, like that I can give it what it needs. Right. So anyway, I went to that doctor. He gave me these prescriptions and I was still trying to heal myself years later. And finally, I heard a podcast that said PCOS 
is the diabetes of the ovaries. And that's when I was driving at the time. I almost drove my car off the road. I was like, what do you mean diabetes? I was like, okay, what do I know about diabetes? Let me think. I was like, okay, I know it's something about blood sugar and something about amputations because a lot of my diabetic patients in the nursing home had amputations if they had diabetes. That's literally all I knew. And so I was like, okay, that's not a good thing. I had been consuming endless amounts of information about how to heal myself and listening to blogs and reading all the books and listening to podcasts. Yet I always skipped the blood sugar section because it was boring. It didn't feel like it connected to me. I didn't have diabetes. Why should I care? That was what I thought. And that's what I think a lot of people think because it's confusing. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. So it feels confusing. It doesn't feel like we're connected to it. And people don't know the symptoms of diabetes. So if they don't know the symptoms of diabetes, which is sort of this end of the spectrum of blood sugar issues, what about those early signs? We most certainly don't know the early signs if I don't even know any signs of diabetes. So I thought that was a really big problem. So I started learning about blood sugar, learning about insulin, and I figured out a way to understand it in a nice, simple way so it could be workable, so I can do things with it. Well, let's start right there. So I agree with you. And I think the thing about insulin, I think it's so funny that we, as a society, people will constantly say, oh, I have low blood sugar. Oh, my blood sugar is dipping. Like people talk about blood sugar in this really nonchalant way, and especially like dysregulated blood sugar. But then when we go to talk about insulin, it does get confusing. And I think I heard about blood sugar probably when I was 18 and I have been wrapping my head around it since then. Cause like at some point the literature loses me. I'm like, Oh, I had it when it was in the cells and now it's going through the bloodstream and you lost me. So let's hear the baby version. Sure. Yeah. And so this is something that you would learn in a biology class, but I'm going to simplify it just so you can have the most basic amount of information. You can understand it. And then, so you can start looking through the lens of blood sugar. Because I think what happened, Jamie, was when I was eating paleo, I was eating all real foods, I was eating healthy carbs, but I was way overdoing it for my body because I still had that sweet tooth carried over from my standard American diet. So I was eating things like bananas and fruit and acai bowls and smoothies and coconut sugar and maple sugar and sweet potatoes and plantains and plantain chips, kombucha. I mean, you name it. It was every healthy carb out there. You were doing the healthy version, but it was still, yeah. I mean, I had had these carbs for me, how you said we ate the snack wells, they were like free food. Like it was, it didn't count. That's how I thought. I'm like, oh, these are healthy carbs. So it doesn't matter. And I have a feeling that a lot of moms out there are thinking the same thing. A lot of people out there are thinking like, well, these are healthy carbs. Yes, there is a difference between healthy carbs and unhealthy carbs, but carbohydrates, we really, really have to look at quantity because the quantity matters. Well, you know what I see in parenting is, and I hear this all the time, is we have kids totally overloading on fruit and tropical fruits, especially. So I'll say, well, that's a little too much fruit. And they're like, well, it's better than candy. And I'm like, yes, but in the amount you're feeding the fruit, you would never give your child that much candy. Do you know what I mean? And so it is, while there is fiber and it does slow it down, it is still a carbohydrate. And you guys, I'm not saying everybody's got to go low carb, but we do have to look at carbohydrates and how I think the rhetoric right now is so intense around carbs, no carbs, low carb. You don't have to be low carb. You need carbs for your hormones. You need carbs for this. And then there's the low carb. And I think it all gets really bastardized 
when it comes down to insulin. And we know how this works. We have science behind it. And I find that most parents, because they're busy and they're stressed, but people in general want to put it aside and be like, la, 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 I can't hear you, you know, because they're, it's not about carbs, no carbs. It's about what does the insulin, how does it work? What does it do to your body? Yeah. And I think it's also each person's going to need a different amount at different times. So learning this information. So let me get to it. Also, side note, can we please stop lumping fruits and vegetables in the same category? Just please. Like, can we please stop? A banana has a vastly different effect on your physiology, your hormones than a piece of asparagus. So it's just something that is, we say fruits and vegetables. We, so we lump them and we think they're one in the same, but they're not. So we'll get to that. So when we eat something like a banana, we eat something with a lot of carbohydrates in it. So this would be things like grains. So like oats and wheat and rye and barley and, and those things, rice. When we eat things like legumes, they have quite a bit of carbs in them. So things like chickpeas and lentils, starchy vegetables. So things like corn, potatoes, sweet potatoes, fruits, and then anything with sugar and then anything made of flour. That's a, the grain. That's the processed grain. So we're eating these foods and they digest. And now the amount of sugar in our blood starts to go up. The body likes to have just a very tight range of blood sugar at all times. So it doesn't like it too high, doesn't like it too low. Your blood sugar is Goldilocks. It likes it to be just right. Okay. So if we go a little bit above or a little bit below this happy range, our body starts giving us symptoms or if it's spiking too fast, high or too low, too quickly. So it also doesn't like mountain ranges. So it likes gradual rolling hills that stay in a tight range. Okay. So we're eating the sugar, the carbs, the amount of sugar in our blood is going up and our pancreas senses this and releases this hormone called insulin. And insulin's job is to take that sugar, one of the jobs is to take the sugar, knock on the cells of the body and say, hey, have some glucose, I have some sugar for you, can I come in? So it will let the glucose into the cell. So it might put it into a heart cell, into a liver cell, brain cell, muscle cell, or a fat cell. And so it's taking this glucose, which is like a something we use to make energy, we stick it in the cell, now it can be used to make energy. So it likes to have this a small amount of sugar just ready to grab if it needs it, but it's not actually energy when it's sitting in your blood. It's like pre-energy. So if it's in the blood, it's not doing anything. We need that insulin to be able to have a clear communication with the cell and say like, hey, I have sugar. Let me put it inside. What starts to happen when we eat foods that are really high glycemic, so we're eating things like cereals, we're having crackers and goldfish and smoothies and grapes and more fruit and dried mangoes and raisins. And we're just spiking the hell out of our blood sugar and the frequency also matters. So we're eating a snack and have a couple of things here and a, something before dinner and something at screen time and then a dessert. And then it's a kid's birthday party. And it's just all the time. It's not like a couple of times a day. It's like, how many times are we putting something in our mouths? So it's like, you know, Americans do something like 28 times a day. We're putting something in our mouth that has calories in it. And that has, in this case, a lot of sugar in it. So the frequency and also the amount of carbs are causing the insulin to go up. 
and the insulin doesn't come down as fast as the sugar, which comes down in a couple of hours, the insulin just takes longer. So it's sort of like we're spiking our blood sugar and the insulin is just ticking up, up, up in our blood. So now the cells are starting to become a little bit resistant to the message of insulin. So now insulin's knocking at the door and the cells are like, la, 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 you were just here. I don't care. Like it's not hearing you. So it's almost like resistance. Think about resistance as we put on a shirt, has an itchy tag, and we feel it for kind of a couple of seconds and then we don't feel it anymore. I know some of the kiddos are different, but like that's resistance. Now, are the cells full of insulin and that's why they're resistant? That's sometimes the case, but sometimes not. It's often that the receptors are inflamed as in the case of like we're having, we have cellular inflammation from eating vegetable oils that inflames the cell membrane. But oftentimes it's just the body stops. It's like, there's too much of this going on. It's like an onslaught. So it's like, no more. (laughs) Yeah. But sometimes it is like, okay, no occupancy. We can't fit anymore inside. So now we have so much insulin. The cells aren't listening. So now we need more insulin to do the same job that it used to do. So now we're needing double the amount of insulin. And insulin is a hormone that's tells the body to store energy. So it's saying store fat, store the sugar. We can't be in a fat burning mode. We can't burn this fat. At the same time, we're in a fat storage mode. So unfortunately, these high levels of insulin block the body from using any stored energy. We store energy as body fat. We also store some as sugar called glycogen in the liver. But the insulin's blocking us from using this. So now it's almost like your metabolism has these blinders on. And so you eat a meal, you eat your breakfast, you have oatmeal with banana on it, and you get a big spike of blood sugar. Then you get that big spike of insulin and it crashes the blood sugar. Now you're kind of out of fuel because your body has energy saved on it but it can't access it because you just gave it this huge amount of insulin. So the insulin is still really big. So now what is it going to tell you to do? Your blood sugar just went down. So some of these really early signs of blood sugar dysregulation usually come after a meal or like if a meal is delayed, we start to get anxious. We start to get irritable. We have mood symptoms. We get hangry. We get cravings. We have urgent hunger because our body thinks it's running out of energy. We get shaky, dizzy, lightheaded. We have brain fog, difficulty concentrating. You know, these are common symptoms. These are common symptoms that we yell at our kids for. These are so common. I had it for years. Like I was like, but I took pride in it because I came also from an athletic standpoint of like, you need to eat every couple hours. Cause like, if you're doing bodybuilding, you're going to have low fat. Right. And so it's like, eat, 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 you know, just, it's just like bro science, whatever. But yeah, I took pride in that. Like, no, no, no. I have to have, you know, nuts and a banana in my purse. I have a famous Facebook story. I'm not on Facebook anymore about like all the bananas that went rotten in my purse. Cause I like forgot about them, but I always had food in my purse. And now I hear it so often, like changing the way I eat. I eat mostly animal-based with a heavy fat. And I say, oh my God, it's my hunger is never urgent. And I look at people who are like, you don't understand. I get shaky. I need to have food every hour or two. And I'm like, you can fix that, you know? <laughs> like we've come to think it's like standard, that that's what we have to have. Yeah. Look at Snickers commercials with like people turn into Joe Pesci and it's like, oh, you turn into a different person, like hungry, need a Snickers. No, that's not hunger. That's a blood sugar crash. 
healthy hunger can be put off. Healthy hunger is like, oh, I could eat or like, oh, I think I'm a little hungry. My stomach feels hungry, but you don't feel any different. You can go to an aerobic class and or a fitness class. You can run an errand after, and then you can say, oh, I'm hungry for lunch. Let me finish this errand and go home and make lunch. It's not like I need to stop at the 7-Eleven because I need something. It's not like I can't make it through this meeting. I have to run to the break room and grab a muffin. It's like, oh, let me just finish this task and then I'll go make myself some lunch. It's not urgent. It can be put off. So when I was struggling, I had all these behaviors and beliefs that were actually blood sugar issues. So I thought I was a breakfast person and that's why I would wake up and need to eat breakfast right away. I called myself a breakfast person, but no, I would wake up shaky. So I would need to eat breakfast. That was low blood sugar. I hated fasting blood work. My blood sugar was 60 when they tested it, which is very low. Again, I was shaky, lightheaded. I almost passed out. I remember stumbling backwards and having this like flash blackout after they took my blood work. And guess what? No doctor said anything to me. This was when I had PCOS. This is when I was going to the doctor being like, let's figure out, you know, what's going on. And no one even like circled it on the write up. It was crazy. So the other things I had, I was, I considered myself a snacker and a foodie. So I liked to have food with me wherever I went. I was always thinking about my next meal. I ate before I left the house, even if it was to go out to eat, because heaven forbid, it took too long for us to get seated. It took too long for the servers to bring the meal. I could not tolerate hunger because it felt horrible in my body. And now hunger feels totally different. I was just talking with someone and having sort of a late meeting over lunch. And I noticed my stomach started to feel hungry, but I was still in the meeting. I was still talking. I was still sharp because my body had energy from other sources. It's like, oh, she's got a ton of sugar stored right here in her liver. Let me just use that. Or like, let me just, you know, use some of the fat from her chin or whatever, like whatever it is. So that's the sign of a healthy metabolism. Right. So when we talk about metabolic health, because that's really big right now and the media and on social media, metabolically healthy. And that is the ability to go from burning carbohydrates to burning fat to burning carbohydrates to go back and forth so that your body never feels that dip. It can easily switch sources. Exactly. So that leaves us feeling like we have a steady stream of energy, whether we're eating or not eating. So if you don't have a healthy metabolism, what happens is your body is stuck in this sugar burning mode. So we want to have a flexible metabolism that can burn fat and carbs and body fat. It's not really like a fast versus slow metabolism that we're talking about here. And so when you're stuck in a sugar burning state, oftentimes it's because of these high insulin levels that are blocking us from burning the fat efficiently. Our body gets the dietary fat, you know, from like an avocado or something, and it, it can use that a little bit. But typically I find that people are really stuck in the sugar burning mode. So they eat something with sugar. It's like kindling on a fire. It burns hot and fast. And then you're out and you are dependent on this steady stream of carbohydrates to fuel you. So you might have been a person who's tried low carb in the past, but you felt like garbage because if your only fuel source is carbohydrates and you lower those carbohydrates, 
you only have a tiny, tiny bit of energy to run off of because your body doesn't work well and it doesn't see the body fat. So now you gave yourself this tiny bit of energy. So of course you feel like crap. So this is when people try to say, I'm going to go low carb and they eat chicken breasts and broccoli and maybe do one spritz of avocado oil, right? So when we do that, that's protein and fiber. So We need to look at these macronutrients. I know you were talking offline about the importance of dietary fat. Let me interrupt you though, so that because sometimes people get confused, carbohydrates, and let's take all the emotion out of it, you guys, because again, I feel like there's this rhetoric online of like, carb, no carb, carb, no carb, all the rhetoric out of it. The body sees all carbohydrates as glucose, whatever that is, if it's fruit, if it's grains, it doesn't have to be sugar. It doesn't have to be a Snickers bar. It doesn't have to be a lollipop. Any carbohydrate, the body takes it in as glucose so that it sees it as a sugar. Yes, fiber slows it down. Yes, fat will slow it down. However, at its root, all carbohydrates. So just know this because I feel like people get confused and like, no, 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 my kid had an apple and a banana and crackers. He's fine. He didn't have that many carbs. And I'm like, but the banana and the apple are carbohydrates. Yeah. And the crackers that was all carbs. I've seen this too, where I see a lunchbox and it's like popcorn and a cracker and grapes and gummy something and more fruit. And it's just, that was all carbs. All those things we listed are carbs. So knowing what foods have carbs in them, that's like, if you are not sure, that is a really great thing to start looking up. What foods fall under the carbs. Like how many carbs are in things? Like don't always look at sugar because you look at a rice cake. There's no, no sugar in that. It's all carbs. But when it breaks down, our saliva has little digestive enzymes and it's snipping those bonds between the starches, which are just long chains of glucose molecules. So it's just a bunch of glucoses all together. That's what a starch is. So if you were to chew a piece of bread for like a couple of minutes, it would start tasting sweet because it's breaking the bonds and you're actually getting the glucose. It does that once it goes inside. Listen, guys, I want to be clear. I'm trying to help you biohack your kid's behavior, right? So biohacking is like all the rage right now and like optimum health. And what I'm seeing, I'm seeing really wackadoodle behavior because we've been misled and because we start to think all fruit has no ramifications. You can just have endless fruit with crackers. And I know these foods are convenient. And Danielle and I are going to get to that in in a little bit. But my interest here is not to make you crazy with this knowledge, but to help you biohack behavior. Little kids need to eat a little more frequently, okay? Their stomachs are as big as their clenched fist. So if you fill that little tiny fist with goldfish crackers, there's not much room for protein and fat. And so this is why I'm, I'm like, protein and fat comes first. Trust me, the carbs will fill in. You don't even have to worry about carbs. Like that'll fill in the holes just quite naturally. But even when Pascal was little, I was like maniacal about protein and fat because if I wasn't, that could easily slip through my fingers and the carbohydrates could just take over. And then I just had a hangry blood sugar mess. And more and more kids, Danielle, are waking up really struggling right at night terrors with waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to go to sleep. And I'm like, guys, I think it's blood sugar. I think these like late night fruit snacks, please continue. I'm sorry. So we started with fats. Yeah, no, it's all such helpful information and you know, your audience and the perspective that we're trying to reach. We're not trying to like shame anyone. We want to teach you so your life can get better. Not put your kid on a diet. I don't want your kid on a diet. I'm just trying to biohack insulin. (laughs) 
No one's going on a diet. We're learning how to set up your kids and you for success. I think that's really what this is, is like, let's try to set them up for success as often as possible. Set them up to be their best version of themselves. My mom said this to me. She said, parents these days don't set their kids up to be the best version they can be. Oh, don't worry about it. He's just tired and hungry. And I'm like, well, feed him and sleep him. And always like, take what you can, take what you can and leave the rest. You know, like a lot of, there's so much mom guilt and perfectionism. It's like, give me B plus work here, you know, like do the best you can when you can. Right. And we'll give you the tips to help fill in the gaps here. So I think what's really helpful when it comes to blood sugar is understanding that there's carbs, fats, and proteins. And I also like to pull fiber out of that. Those are the three macronutrients and fiber. It's a carbohydrate but it doesn't raise our blood sugar. It actually slows the blood sugar. So I like to talk about these four components separately. So we talked about what's in carbohydrates and then fiber would be things like non-starchy vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, mushrooms, tomatoes, zucchini, asparagus. So these things are mostly fiber, hardly any carbs. You really don't even look at them as a carb, right? But that would be like the fiber from the vegetables. We need to be careful that we're not like fiber from a sweet potato or from corn because those are very, very high. Those are starchy vegetables. So knowing this difference is really helpful. That would be in the carb category. We have fiber, we have carbs, and then we have proteins and fats. Protein foods are animal protein foods. So things like meat, chicken, fish, eggs, and full fat dairy, that's what's going to count as our main sources of protein. Yes, plant proteins can give us little bits. They're not as bioavailable, meaning the body has to like do these processes. They're not complete in their amino acids. They usually come with anti-nutrients. They're just not as easy for our body to use and absorb. So we don't actually get as much out of it. I also think people get very confused with like legumes, which I know in the plant-based world, that could be a protein, but it's a carbohydrate profile. And to get the protein that you would need from that, your carbohydrate profile would be so high. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I look at legumes as a carb, although they are pretty, you know, somewhat evenly divided between like carbs, a little bit of protein, tiny bit of fat, but it's mostly a carbohydrate. And like you said, if you have to eat like three cups of lentils to get the same amount of protein that's in four ounces of beef, how many extra carbs did you just get? So the proteins are really important. And then I'm seeing things like you talked about, oh, she had like a protein waffle. It's like they're throwing these crappy quality proteins in like soy protein isolate. That's not a good quality protein. And so they're trying to just like throw these crappy proteins in to be able to tick it off on the box, like, oh, this has a lot of protein in it, but that's not a good source of protein. So really, let's talk about good sources of protein are the ones from animal products. And these are harder to break down in the stomach. We need a lot of good stomach acid for this. And so sitting and chewing our food really well, encouraging that from our kiddos is really important. So like eating a steak on the run while they're running around is not going to digest as well. So we really need to just pay attention to 
making sure that our kids are trying to encourage this habit of like, let's chew our food, teaching that early. And then for ourselves, for the moms out there, chewing your food 20 to 30 times per bite, we need to chew. There's like a chronic epidemic of not chewing and that's wrecking our digestion and giving us bloating and food sensitivities and all these things. And then for kids, we want that proper jaw development and that's encouraged by chewing. So that's really, really important. Okay. So one time I had a friend come from California, visit me when Pascal was little. She didn't have kids. And we were having a conversation. Pascal was at, you know, at the table eating and she just looked at me like horrified, just this like horrible look on her face. And I was like, what? And she was like, you just picked something off the floor and ate it. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm a mom. Like whatever, whatever gets ditched off the high chair, I'm eating. I'm going to eat crust. I eat standing at the fridge. So moms, I get it. I know you're eating on the go, but we do really want to emphasize eating at the table, <laughs> sitting down. And it doesn't have to be, you know, one of my big things, Danielle, is family meals when toddlers and dads and moms are getting home late at night. I'm done with the family dinner. It doesn't have to be this extravagant thing, but let's not eat in the car seat. Let's not eat at the fridge, moms. Let's like really sit and maybe even cut our food up a little. <laughs> We're animals, Danielle. I know you don't have kids. We're animals. We're primal. <laughs> I would be the worst because I don't even have kids and I'm sitting here. I teach this all the time and I'm standing. I'm like, I'm doing the exact thing I tell people not to do. Get a stool, put it in the kitchen so you can sit down while you're eating, take three deep breaths into your belly and chew your food for a couple of seconds if you can, right? I understand there's probably an age where you're not going to be able to do this. Forget about that age. Just do the best you can when they sit. I like the idea of pulling up a stool to the open fridge and just being like, I'm just going to eat this chicken drumstick. (laughs) No, next to like the counter, the counter, you know, you're sitting at the counter with the, you know, food on the cutting board, still whatever it is. Okay. So we talked about proteins and then fats. Fats are the other alternative fuel source to carbohydrates. We talked about carbs being the kindling on the fire. Fats are like the logs on the fire. They burn low and slow and give us this long lasting energy. And I see so many people trying to lose weight by cutting fats. And that is very 1990s of you. And we don't want that trend to continue. Eat more fat and stop plucking your eyebrows. (laughs) That's 90s. As an overplucker, you can see my... Me too. Mine don't grow back in. I have to pencil them. I'm like, I totally overdid this in the early 2000s. Fun times. So fats are so, so important. Oftentimes in nature, proteins come with fats. So people are like, what foods have fats in them? So a fatty steak, like pulled pork, an egg has the yolk in it. Please don't throw out your yolks. So full fat dairy, please don't buy low fat dairy ever again. That's very inflammatory. Dairy needs to have the fat in it. Foods as nature intended are always going to be the most healthy, right? So how it grows from the ground, that's most often how we want to eat it, right? So that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So leaning into fattier foods, fatty fish like salmon, sardines, things like that. And then we have the healthy fats, which we would say grass-fed butter, ghee, if you're dairy sensitive, avocado oil, but only chosen foods brand. Oh, is that a good brand? Yeah. These oils are like cut with seed oils and things like that. And then again, olive oil, I don't fully know all the best brands because there's all these like olive oil mafias out there and they're labeling things as being 
you know, olive oil when they're not fully olive oil and they're cut with these other oils and the labels, even if it says olive oil, they're lying. Like, how can they lie on these labels? Apparently they do. So finding a trusted source for olive oil, I minimally use olive oil because I can't, I don't know a really, really good source. Cassandrinos, I believe that they're a good brand. I'm not affiliated, but I know that they're small farms from Greece and they like pick them and whatever. Yeah. All by way of saying, guys, like I've talked about the corrupt food industry, like you do have to do due diligence. You can't just buy whatever because it's chances are it's going to be crap. I stick with butter. I stick with butter and tallow. Yeah. And tallow is amazing. Grass-fed tallow, it doesn't really have a taste. Coconut oil, organic extra virgin coconut oil is good too. And so these fats are really, really healthy for the body and help us go longer between meals. They help stabilize our blood sugar when we eat. So one of the most important things is that I personally prioritize protein. I look at my plate and I say, I'm eating all my protein first. If you are hungry, if you're hungry and you're not in the mood for protein, I say you're not hungry because you're not truly hungry. So giving your kid, and if you put a plate of food in front of a kid and you have all different stuff on it and they leave the meat, then maybe, I don't know, I'm not a mom, but the idea is we have to eat this first and then we're going to get the rest of the food. Eat the meat first. And then once they're full of meat, then they get the rest of the food, meat and fat, right? But we really want to fill them up on protein. And moms, this goes for you too, aiming for at least 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal for an adult woman would be a really great target to try to hit. So many people out there, they're having one egg and some oatmeal for breakfast. That's like 11 grams of protein. That's not going to fill us up and that's not going to keep us satiated through to the next meal. So what's going to happen? We're going to have to snack. And then when we think of snack foods, I always say I'm allergic to the word snack because I don't like the word snack because it conjures up ideas of snacking. Snack food. Yeah. We get like a hundred calorie pack or we get, you know, a handful of almonds. Not that that's that bad. It's not that easy to digest a handful of almonds. Like there's just, or it'll be fruit or it'll be a bar or it'll be something that's processed. So if we set ourselves up for success, that looks like having lots of protein at that meal. Usually the fats come with these proteins that we talked about and we add some extra fats. We can add things like avocados, olives, anything made of coconut, except coconut water is the only part of coconut that is a carb, not really a fat. Someone pointed that out on Instagram. They're like, oh, I do coconut water every day. I was like, no, that's the only part. (laughs) It's confusing. Or coconut milk in the cartons. I just went through that with a post I did on Instagram. That coconut carton milk is just crap. If you do want to utilize coconut fat, get the butter, coconut butter or coconut milk in a can. In a can, exactly. Yep. So getting the coconut milk in a can. So these extra foods, those are called like the fruit fats. So the coconut, the olive and the avocado, those are good things to have kids munch on as snacks because they're mostly fat and they really don't have a good impact on the blood sugar. So those are really good foods to eat as well. But let me interrupt you too, because this gets confusing because we're trying to take care of mamas and babies at the same time. So moms, I've done this myself. This doesn't have to look overwhelming for a little kid. Again, think their stomach's the size of their clenched fist, right? So even if it were like, say you make a pot roast, it's two bites of pot roast. It doesn't have to be a lot. Yeah. So don't like give your kid a helping plate or don't get overwhelmed because kids need less. But what we want to do is we want to stay away. And, and Danielle talks about this 
we haven't today, but she talks about it on Instagram. You don't want a naked carb. And this is where we get into trouble with snacking with the kids. So they're in the car, they appear to be hungry and you give them a pouch and you think you're doing the right thing. You guys know how I feel about pouches, but you think you're giving them a vegetable pouch, which now has been sweetened significantly for a kid to eat vegetables out of a pouch, right? And that's a naked carb. So you're just setting your kid up for another insulin response, a high blood sugar, and then a crash, right? So something like string cheese and hard-boiled egg would be so much more beneficial. So just think protein forward. And even if it looks like delaying, like say you're cooking dinner, maybe you just don't bring the mashed potatoes to the table to like five minutes be like, oh, let's just have some bites of the chicken or the, the pot roast or the salmon and let your kid fill up on that. Then bring, oh, I forgot about the mashed potatoes, you know? Exactly. I love that trick. Yeah. So that you're not having, we run into trouble and picky eating is through the roof right now. And I swear it's a food addiction because no kid is doing picky eating with chicken and broccoli. It's always like some hyper palatable processed food. But if we present at the table, just the proteins first, and then slip in the mashed potatoes after, everybody can be happy, but your protein forward. And this is how I handle holidays. So Halloween, everybody's famous for coming to my house. for I make a huge pot roast. The kids fill up on meat and fat. And then I'm like, go, go eat candy till you puke. But they're less likely to eat candy till they puke or be hungover because I went protein forward. Exactly. And I find that if I eat, like I was saying, if I eat enough protein and what my clients say is like, they eat the protein and fat and they're like, I almost didn't even need, like, I just needed a few bites of that sweet potato. It's amazing that you can sort of regulate the carbs once you're satiated. So it feels really different in your body too. And it's really, so your kids will eat the mashed potatoes too, but they're blunting that blood sugar spike and they're going to stay fuller for longer. And it's going to help level out the moods and the behaviors and the energy levels. And that's for every human being. Right. And because this is what we want too, Daniel, what I'm experiencing with my clients is almost a pre-bedtime snack because the kids are eating sort of naked carbs at the table and then they're hungry an hour later and then bedtime's delayed. And if you're potty training, night training goes haywire. If you have fruit and dairy after two, like it's craziness. And then these kids are waking up with like night terrors too. I'm like, I think this is blood sugar guys. When I eat like a naked carb too close to bedtime, I wake up with heart palpitations and like undiagnosed anxiety. I'm not an anxious person. I don't have anxiety. So I wake up like, <laughs> like anxious about nothing, which is painful. So what that is, Jamie, what that is, is actually when your blood sugar crashes, oftentimes in the middle of the night, and your body doesn't have access to those other fuel sources because you lack that metabolic flexibility, your adrenal glands need to come in, in an emergency, pump you full of stress hormones to tell your liver to make new sugar, to raise your blood sugar. So as your blood sugar is dropping in the middle of the night, what happens is you wake up with an adrenaline rush, which you perceive to be anxiety because that's exactly what it did. What happens when you get pumped full of adrenaline? Your heart starts pounding and you're like, oh my God, I was, I was just sleeping. Like you're startled. That is a blood sugar crash. 99.999 times out of a hundred. That's what it is. It's not a night terror. It's not a panic attack in the middle of the night. Oftentimes 
gluten is very tied to night terrors. So if gluten is in a kid's diet, that might be something to look at. That's a really great documentary called What's With Wheat. Highly recommend that to go into that because that would be a whole other podcast. But keeping your blood sugar more stable throughout the day. So what we want to do is blunt these blood sugar spikes. So some of the ways to do that is that we talked about having protein, fat, and fiber first. That might include some of those non-starchy vegetables. I'm not as concerned about those. There is Jamie. Not having a naked carb. So making sure that if we're having carbs, we have enough protein and fat first to sort of blunt the spike. And then we are also thinking about we want to have movement after meals, especially movement after carbs. So Jamie talks about kids sitting in the car, having a snack. Now we're still, now we're not using that blood sugar. So our blood sugar is creeping up. You talk about kiddos having a snack while they're having screen time. They're still a switch to that would be if they're having, you know, a snack at screen time, maybe it doesn't have carbs in it, like the string cheese and, you know, some nuts or something like that. But then if they're having something, if they're having the fruit and they're having whatever it is, the healthy carbs, then maybe it's like, go outside and play. Let's play freeze dance. You know, let's have a dance party in the living room. Let's go for a walk to the park. Like let's walk around the block. Let's walk the dogs. So movement after meals, we want to utilize the glucose that we just put into the system. So it's not a bad thing that our blood sugar goes up a little bit. We just don't want it going up so much that it's causing a huge response. We'll have symptoms up there. We can have headaches, the irritability, all those things. Also, we can have symptoms when it goes low. That's when we get the hangry. That's when we get those intense cravings and urgency. So moving is really important because that's going to utilize the blood sugar. And so it's going to blunt that spike. So then we have these, what looks like if you ever put on a continuous glucose monitor for moms, that's the most helpful tool I have ever used is to slap on a glucose monitor on the back of your arm. There's a lot of companies that give you the prescription for it or that give you the prescription and the device. I have a bunch linked on my Instagram profile if you're interested because you need a prescription to get these. So looking at your blood sugar in real time or blood glucose, I I use those interchangeably. It's so helpful to see what these foods are doing to your blood sugar because everyone's going to have a different response and you're going to have different responses at different times of the month if you're tired, if you're stressed. So there's other things that can impact our blood sugar. And I think it's worth mentioning that things like how much muscle mass you have and whether you're sedentary or you move, that's going to impact your blood sugar. Your sleep. So if you don't sleep well, you're going to be more insulin resistant the next day. You're going to be driven towards those carbs. And I know that early momhood, you're not getting a lot of sleep. So you might find that that's happening. Give yourself grace, but bring awareness to it. That's so interesting because I know this anecdotally that if I don't get enough sleep, I'm very munchy. And it was really funny. Like, I think I was probably 22 and I worked as a bartender. And the other girl I worked with was this like tall, lean drink of water. And the guys just loved her. And I was like, how do you stay so skinny? And she was like, I sleep. And I was like, what? And she was like, I sleep. I sleep a lot. And I was like, oh what? It made no sense to me in my early twenties. But now I know like I, if I'm underslept, I'm so munchy, but that's an actual, like, it's not just my brain. It's like a a hormone driven response. Yeah, it is. It is. It's well, it's your brain saying, Hey, we don't have enough energy because we're more insulin resistant. So that sugar is not getting into the cells as easily. So we inside the cells, what's happening, we have no energy. So we feel hungry and tired. So 
we are naturally driven to seek out more carbs on even after one night of poor sleep. So imagine early motherhood chronically, right? Early motherhood. Yeah. That chronicness of that. And so by at least starting with the proteins and fats, so you can feel a little bit more stable and then have your healthy carbs after that. No one's telling you not to have carbs, especially in this time, but give yourself that important fuel first. That's super, super, super helpful. And moms, I find this like for me, I find it so helpful. Like when I get back from the grocery store, like do yourself a favor, wash your grapes, wash your vegetables, like cut your vegetables. And I would do like a, you know, when you suck the suck the air out of the Ziploc, like a, a poor man's, you know. Um, uh, what is that? Vacuum seal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can do that and then have like, if you're in these stages of motherhood where you are chronically underslept, like have plenty of string cheese, hard boil a dozen eggs at a time, like make it available so that even if you are going to the fridge for a lot of food, like make it so that it's not chips or goldfish and, you know, try not to eat the crust off your kid's sandwich. You know what I mean? Like you can feel it. You eat to stay awake. Like you're like, okay, just if I can just keep up till like it's time for bed, you know, but do yourself a favor. You don't have to meal plan, but keep things like super available in your fridge. So every time you go there, you can grab something that's not the carton of ice cream. <laughs> it's such good advice. And it comes back to what I call batch cooking in like single ingredient cooking. So we're talking, I am like bare bones in the kitchen because I've been eating this way since 2012. It gets old cooking everything from scratch and I need things on my plate really fast because I don't care to be in the kitchen anymore, to be quite honest. And I'm sure a lot of you feel that way. You're like, I make these elaborate meals and nobody eats the same thing and all that. So just cooking a lot of single ingredient foods, like doubling, tripling recipes. So then you have leftovers. If you make a meal and you only eat the one time, I usually say like you're doing something wrong, double it. Make a big thing of like a roast or a huge thing of like, pulled chicken or like make a whole chicken, pull the, you know, the meat off of it, save it. So you can just go to the fridge and have this fast protein, some good quality sausages, something like the dozen eggs. That's a, such good advice. I used to do that. I think I might've told, I, I was on Danielle's podcast and I might've told you this story, but back in the day, you guys, when I owned my store, I was a single mom and I owned a store and I would pick my kid up from daycare and it was clusterfuck time at dinner time. So what I would do is twice a week, I made everything. Now at the time I still ate legumes, which I don't anymore, but I would cook the beans. I would grill a bunch of chicken breasts. I would do steaks, sausages, hamburgers. I would do boiled potatoes so I could mash them. I could make home fries. I would cut up all my lettuces. I used to like big salads. I don't anymore, but I prepared everything so that all I had to do at night was grab a protein, a starch, and a fat. And it was easy peasy. So there are ways to do this without getting into intense meal planning. And like Danielle said, we know like it's so disheartening when you do even today with my 17 year old is like, I make this elaborate meal and he's like, "Mm, it's okay. Fuck off, man. Like I just worked like nine hours in the kitchen. Right. And so I've just learned I'm so much better off just having like, here, have a steak, you know, like it doesn't have to be elaborate. Yeah. And then very spice blends and sauces, like learn how to make homemade mayo super easy with the avocado oil egg immersion blender. You just start pouring the oil in there. Boom. It's made. You can make all different spices, throw different flavors together. If your kids aren't adventurous, that's fine, but at least you can have some variety in changing up these sauces and flavors. So it doesn't feel like you're always having the same thing. You can get some varieties, change up your meats and your proteins too. 
And let me tell you something. Thrive Market has ranch spice blend packets and you can add it to Greek yogurt. Do yourself a favor because like kids will eat anything with ranch. So I did want to mention before we step off of it, I have to say this, you guys, do you know breast milk is almost all saturated fat? So there's all this rhetoric about saturated fat, which by the way, is not bad for you, but all this rhetoric around fat that parents are putting their kids on kind of low fattish diets. And there is a vegan diet that is no fat or oil. And I literally had to fire a client about this because I was like, this is child abuse at this point in time. Children need fat. They need it for their brain development. So don't skimp on it. And I went down a rabbit hole with Pascal because he wanted to eat butter. And I was like, okay, is he nutritionally deficient? And I went down a rabbit hole and kids should eat butter. So get a high quality Kerrygold, or if you can get it from the farm or make it yourself, let them eat butter. Don't skimp on the fat, not only for satiety. And so we don't have these hangry, you know, these meltdowns with our kids and to help them sleep better but literally for brain development. And I see this dangerous trend of people saying, well, saturated fat's terrible. My kid eats low fat. And I'm like, no, no, just no. I'm so glad you said that. Saturated fat is like our brains are made of saturated fat and cholesterol. Every cell membrane has saturated fat and cholesterol. So we want the cells to work well so we can build healthy tissues. We want healthy tissues so we can build healthy organs. We need healthy organs so we can build a healthy body. It starts at the cellular level and fats are super important for that. They're also really important for inflammation. They turn on and off the inflammatory response. We need both of those things to work really well. The inflammatory response is the immune system happening. So we need these fats and saturated fat is the preferred fuel of the heart. If you eat heart, like you know chicken hearts or something, it's mostly saturated fat because that's what it is. It's really, really important. So yeah, what were we talking about? We're kind of all over the map. We're almost at an hour. I could talk to you for nine hours straight. I know, me too. Okay, so number one, I want to go back to snacks for a minute. So Danielle has this term that I am going to just blatantly steal from her and use all the time, which is don't think snack, think mini meals. So yes, our children, because their stomachs are so small, right? They are going to need to eat more frequently. Adults, we should eat three meals a day, if that. So no snacking, right? So your meal should fill you up. You should have that satiety to be able to go to the next meal without being your hunger being urgent. Now our kids, it can be a little more urgent because their stomachs are little and they're growing. So think mini meals. When we think snack, again, we tend to think snack foods, right? And I had told this story on Danielle's podcast. You know, my mom, when I was the crazy paleo lady, when I turned 40, I discovered paleo. My arthritis inflammation went away and I could stand straight up. I could have my splits again. And of course I was annoying. And I was like, everybody needs to give up grains. And people were like so angry with me. We had the same story. Yeah. Tell people they should give up bread. And boy, my ex threw bread at me and told me I was in a cult because I stopped eating bread. It invokes anger. (laughs) And so my mom who has rheumatoid arthritis, a, a myriad of health issues. And you guys know you've kept up with my mom's health issues, but this was what, 15 years ago now. So I offered to cook all the meals for my mom. She was still working at the time. And I said, I'll cook everything. You can bring these foods to to work. And I made all her and my stepdad meals. Within a month, my mom was ready to go off her methotrexate. She was ready to go off all her steroids. She felt so good. And then six weeks in, she said, well, Jamie, I'm just, I'm just missing a snack. I need a little snack, a little snacky snack. And I was like, all right, cool. Like I made mini meatballs. Do you want some like cut up sausage? Do you want some cheese? You want me to make you like a mini charcuterie board? I was ahead of the charcuterie board craze, by the way. I was making them years ago. <laughs> and, and she said, no, I just need a little snack, a little something. And she'd go like that. She wanted crackers. And so she ended up 
going off paleo because of snacks. She's medically fragile now. She ended up like her health has done nothing but tanked throughout the years. And to me, it's such a compelling story of how strong the snack culture is that you think you need this processed snacks. And that's what kids want. When they say they want a snack, they don't mean they're hungry. They mean they want a snacky snack. They want a grabby finger food, like goldfish or shit like that. And don't we all? It's delicious. I used to tell Pascal all the time, man, this shit is delicious. But I always told him it's a sparkler. You're going to run out like a sparkler. And if you want to play all day, you want to play in a baseball game, you need a slow soy burning candle. Like, that's it. And so, again, I make mini meatballs. You can make egg and cheese and ham little mini muffins and a piece of string cheese and a hard-boiled egg. So think mini meals as opposed to snacks. And I think that will be like a huge shift in how you view it. Yeah, I really like doing if And if someone is like, if they're really into the crunch, a pork rind by itself or like to dip into guacamole is really good. Even crunchy bacon. So like bacon, you can use it to dip into guac or salsa or whatever using vegetables and guacamole as well. So thinking about getting something crunchy in, if that's sort of like what you're wanting. Yeah. You can also do carrots on a mandolin. If you slice them really thin, they're like chips with guacamole, these kinds of things. Yeah. I, in fact, now when I go to parties, I've gotten a little famous for this in the last couple of years is I bring bacon. I bring four pounds of bacon at different degrees of crispiness. And like, I put it by the chips and it's so funny because the people come in and they're like, is that bacon? Yeah. It's like chips, but it's bacon. And it's the first thing to go. And everybody's like, are you bringing bacon? <laughs> I had bacon today and I was thinking of you because <laughs> I was thinking of the, the degrees of the crispiness. I'm like, this is such a good idea. I'm stealing it from her. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. And before we log off, we can't log off with, please, can we talk about oats and oat milk? Yes. We absolutely can. So oat milk, whoever did the advertising and the marketing for oats, I always say I would love their contact because they did a superb job of making everyone think that oats are basically the the pinnacle of healthy food, right? And some of you are thinking, wait, it's not the pinnacle of healthy food? I thought so too. It's like, oh, no, I don't eat cereal in the morning. I have oatmeal. And while whole oats do have some good things to them, they have some B vitamins, they have some certain types of fiber. And you may have heard that I thought oats were good for your blood sugar. It does have this one thing like beta glucans, a giant bowl of starch is not good for your blood sugar. I don't care what it has in it. It's just not good for your blood sugar. So I really think that oats are something that we want to make sure that we're not having like naked. So it's not that we have to totally cut out oats, but making sure we have some protein with that. So if we're having oats in the morning, perhaps lowering the quantity of oats and having two eggs first, and then having a little bit of oats with some nut butter in it. So we're getting protein and fat to, to blunt that spike. Personally, even if I have oats, I'm tired. It makes me crave. I have oats and then I'm thinking about chocolate. I'm like, what is happening here? So it just does that to me. Oat milk is horrible because most of it is mixed with seed oils. When they take the oats and make it into this oat flour, the sugar in oats is called maltose. Maltose is two glucose molecules bonded together. Table sugar, which is sucrose, is 
one glucose and one fructose. So it doesn't have that big of an impact on our blood sugar, but maltose, the sugar in oat milk has much more of an effect on our blood sugar than table sugar. So it's this very, very high glycemic food because of the sugar in it. Naturally, they usually have these vegetable oils in them. Oats have anti-nutrients. And so especially if you have thyroid issues, celiac, gluten sensitivity, you're going to want to watch out for oats because there can be some what's called molecular mimicry where your body might think that certain proteins are the thing that you're really sensitive to. And oats are highly sprayed with glyphosate. So if you ever do oats, we really, really want to make sure they're organic because they're very, very sprayed with glyphosate. Same thing with chickpeas and wheat. I mean, they spray wheat right before it's harvested with glyphosate to dry it out right after it's harvested, excuse me. So they pick it and they spray it with glyphosate before they harvest it to dry it out. I mean, that's like someone walking around a restaurant being like fresh ground pepper, glyphosate, like (laughs) Roundup, you know, can I spray some of that on your plate? It's crazy. Well, I think it's really important too, because people often, especially like, you know, the Bible, the bread is the staff of life and people get very attached to, you know, we've eaten bread for so long, but the way wheat is produced in the U.S. right now and the farming practices is there's so much, and there's an argument out there right now that it's, that celiac isn't even really the wheat as the wheat protein as much as it is the glyphosate and the, you know, it used to be these long, long grains of wheat out in the Midwest. And now they, to create all the aisles in the grocery store that take wheat, now it's a shorter growing cycle. So it's this shorter, thicker stock and it's just not produced the same way. So the glyphosate, it's interesting. I just started to go down a heavy metal detox rabbit hole and a friend called me and she had gotten her daughter tested and her daughter's glyphosate was off the charts. And this is a mama who was like, super careful about food. And we were like, do you think it's the oatmeal? Do you think it's the, you know what I mean? Because it's in these foods that you wouldn't even think. Yeah. Big time. Glycine is something that I'm not recommending a supplement and check with your practitioners and all that, all that jazz. This is not medical advice, but glycine can help to detoxify glyphosate. So it's a really well-tolerated supplement. So I'm not saying go supplement your kids, but I'm talking more maybe for adults I don't want to go into that area for supplementing for kids, but yeah, glycine's helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know what's so funny too about oatmeal is I remember back in the day that, especially I think it was probably the fiber heyday, like what, you know, Americans, we take everything to the nth degree. It's like fiber's good. Okay. I'm just going to only eat fiber. I remember feeling like tired and feeling like a crash after oatmeal. Well, clearly I wasn't eating enough oatmeal. So I eat more oatmeal. Like I double down to eat like a huge bowl of oatmeal because I, if I'm tired and hungry and weird an hour later, clearly I didn't eat enough. So yeah, so that was my solution. Oh my gosh. Well, Jamie, that reminds me of my story with this cereal that I was sent. So I get sent certain foods and things like that. And most of them you guys, no one even hears about because I'm like, no, these ingredients are garbage or whatever. I don't like it. And I just share the things that I love. So there was a cereal. And like I said earlier at the beginning, I loved cereal. So I was like, oh my gosh, here is a grain-free, gluten-free, glyphosate-free, organic, non-GMO cereal. OMG, I can't wait to try this. So it's made with cassava flour. So I did what I always tell people to do. I had steak, I had my protein and fat, and then I had green beans, I had fiber, and I had that whole meal. And then I had the serving size of the cereal. It was three quarters of a cup. 
And I ate that cereal and I had a continuous glucose monitor on. My blood sugar spiked higher than I have ever seen it. It went up to 168. That is just so high. And at the very peak of the spike, my brain started thinking, go have another bowl of cereal. Do we have ice cream in the house? Maybe you should go buy some chocolate. I was like, where are these thoughts coming from? It was like someone took over my brain. I got hijacked by that. And I was like, oh my goodness, if I didn't have this glucose monitor on, I would have had another bowl, a hundred percent. So it was weird that at the peak of the blood sugar spike, my brain was like, go get more. Like it was really weird. So what I did to counteract that I didn't have more, although I really wanted it because this was a craving at that point, this was like, you know, my, my physiology asking me for it, which was a strange thing, but I went for a power walk for 30 minutes and got it right back down. So remember that walking, that movement after meals can really help to balance you out. So if you ever eat something and you're like, I think that just spiked my blood sugar. I mean, a lot of people eat like chips and salsa or eat the bread on the table first. So this is why, you know, in Italy, eat the olives first and then eat the antipasta first, you know, have the cheeses, have the meats, have the olives, then have the bread at the the end if you want it. It's not all or nothing. It's finding the balance that works for you and knowing that, you know, if you work out, you might need more carbs and you might do better with a little bit more carbs even before the workout because we're going to move after, right? If you have a really hard workout, you can replenish those carbohydrates because you just drained your muscles of all that stored sugar, that glycogen. So you just fill it right back up. Building muscles builds more space for the glucose to go. It's like, think about muscles are like sponges for the glucose. So you want to build sponges, right? But if all you can do is go for a walk, that's fine too. You know, start where you can, but if you can build muscle, that's amazing for your glucose, exercise, sauna, cold therapy. These are things that are also really good for your glucose levels and then stress reduction. So we didn't talk about this yet. And I know this is a really hard topic and you're going to be like, Danny, okay, I'll do all the things that you said, but now you're talking about reducing my stress. Like I can't, like my stress is just there. And so I just want to say that it's not about getting rid of stress. That's not the goal, but the goal is to send signals, send a message to your body that you are safe. And the way that you can do this is through your breath. It's free. And just because it's free doesn't mean it's not effective. You want to take a slow, deep breath into your belly. We do too much. I certainly do too much clavicular breathing. It's shallow breathing. And when I breathe up there, that's sending a signal to my nervous system that something must not be right. So it lowers my heart rate variability, which is this measure of stress resiliency. So we can breathe into our bellies and just a couple of deep breaths before we eat a meal, a couple of times throughout the day. I have this new device that I use. It's a heart rate monitor. It connects to my phone with this program And it is like a stress, a continuous stress monitor. So I can see what my stress levels are doing. And it's amazing that they have these little training sessions and just one minute of breath work. I do that one minute of breath work a couple of times a day. And my heart rate variability is better overnight. So it's showing that I'm becoming more resilient and it just ticks up over the days. You become more resilient using your breath learning some breathing techniques, the four, seven, eight breath, which is inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight. We always want to breathe in through the nose. That's really, really important. Some breathing that you may have learned in a yoga class. And if anything just fails, try to breathe in 
through your nose and slow your exhale down. You know, just a really slow exhale. Think about that. If your kids are stressing you out, be like, I know there's stress going on. I know there's things I can't control. I know there's noise or there's whatever. You know, maybe you have one minute in the bathroom and that's all you get to yourself. Do some deep breathing on the toilet, you know, like wherever you can get it. Well, we often talk about a pause too. Like when, so when you have kids, like what my audience is looking for, we're more conscious parents. And so we know we have our triggers. We know we have our wounds. And so our kids, fuckers, they always trigger us, right? (laughs) And so you know, what What we work on is a pause before you react. So you don't say catastrophic things. You don't be psycho mom with your kid. And this is a great place, you guys, when you're struggling with that pause is to learn some sort of quick breath work that you can just breathe in. Just It just helps. Just sitting here when she said, breathe in your belly, I was like, oh yeah, 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 there it is. So that is awesome. And I wanted to touch really quickly, Danielle, and then I'll let you go. So I'm not keeping you all day. Going back to your cereal story. Number one, I have always known that a box of cereal for me is a single serving, no matter what. Cereal just cannot be in my house. It is a single serving. And I will play the game of, I didn't put enough milk. Then I have put too much cereal. Then I put more milk till the cereal box is gone. And I know you people know what I'm talking about because we've all done that, right? Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. That's something that I would do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Play with the milk and it's non-fat milk, which is just carbohydrate. (laughs) But one thing I struggled for years with intuitive eating and intuitive eating didn't work for me because I was clouding my singles with shit food like this. And so this cereal is a perfect example. It was grain-free. It didn't have glyphosate. She got it at Whole Foods. It seemed like the perfect thing. And to me, I'd be like, okay, that's healthy. And that compulsion, once I learned about food addiction, which is really processed, hyperpalatable food addiction, I realized that that cereal game I was playing was not my fault. It was my brain being hijacked by corporations who have well-paid thousands of scientists who are paid to hijack your brain and your taste buds and your blood sugar. And so that compulsion that you felt, that voice in your head, I want chocolate, need to go out and get chocolate... That is like so real in a processed food addict person like me. And so learning that it wasn't willpower, learning that it wasn't my fault, learning that my brain had just been hijacked is what makes me avoid these foods. I don't feel restricted. I don't feel like it's restriction because what feels like prison is thinking all day long of where I'm going to get my next fix and avoiding that rest of the box of that cereal. I would have to throw it in the trash, in the compost. So I wouldn't get it out of the trash. I threw it away. I threw it away because it was so good because I knew I wanted more. And I completely agree with what you're saying, Jamie. I never personally did, uh, uh, for a short time, I did a ketogenic diet when I was trying to fix my blood sugar, get rid of my PCOS and all those things. I did keto and fasting. And now I've sort of cycled back on to including some carbohydrates. And because I'm not like I was before, I'm not totally overdoing it. And now I can tolerate these carbohydrates. So I use keto as this therapeutic protocol. My body's not asking me for that right now, but I'm in and out of ketosis all the time because I'm so metabolically flexible. So I feel for me, that's this really good, happy medium, what my body's wanting. And when I did keto, it was the first time in my life that I say my sugar dragon wasn't calling the shots. It wasn't like this bargaining, this like where like, oh, okay, you can get something that's, that has chocolate, but not the whole thing, not something big because you know, you're going to finish the whole thing. And maybe they didn't see me take a cookie. So maybe I'll just go get one more. I don't think they saw this. Like, let me buy this one thing. Let me go to the break room and get the, like, 
it was nonstop chatter. And I felt like I was fighting that all day. And what to me felt like freedom was putting a boundary and saying no to foods that woke up my sugar dragon. So it's those processed foods, like you said, that they're designed in the factory to be hyper palatable and addictive. Once you pop, you can't stop. That's how they make them. It's not your fault. But I know that if I invite those things in, I have a hard time moderating that. I call it managing food. And that to me is prison. If I'm managing food all day, I'm not working. I'm not doing Instagram. Like I'm not attending to my child. Like it's, it's managing food. And so I am vehemently against all things in moderation. For some people, maybe you can handle it. I can't. And so there's moderators and abstainers. And I think when it comes to hyper palatable foods and now seeing also what's breaking my heart is seeing the picky eating of some kids. I've got clients whose kids are only eating Pop-Tarts and I feel for the parents because they feel like the child needs to be fed, but that's a processed food addiction. If that's all you can eat, that's a processed food addiction. And so that's like, I keep thinking like, oh my God, where are we going as a society? Yeah, I know. And so the other things that are going to keep you sort of stuck in that, I call it like a blood sugar prison is dysregulated blood sugar. So eating the foods that are spiking you, you know, eating the naked carbs, things like this, but then also we can have bacterial imbalances in our gut and there's trillions of them and they're shouting out for sugar. So if we have these overgrowths of candida, which is very common, then we're going to have trillions of little voices saying, go get sugar and trillions to one, they're going to win. And so it's hard to weed that out. But once you get these foods out for a period of time, and sometimes people need to go more drastic than others, and maybe it's not the right time to, you know, go and fully do like a, you know, a round of keto or something like that, but use the hacks that we talked about those strategies. But there is so much value in becoming someone who can burn fat for fuel because you're, you will never look at food the same way because you can look at, for me, I can look at, you know, a tray of cookies and be like, I can actually just have one of these or like, I can pass these up. I'd be like, I'm not in the mood. Like I was never not in the mood. I was like, uh, it, it just doesn't do it for you the same way. So it makes it easier. And it just feels to me, that feels like freedom. It feels like I don't have to have my mind totally battling the sugar dragon all day. And I can think about other things and I show up better. I show up more even keeled. I'm more of my best self when my blood sugar is stable. And I would love to hear from everyone if they try these tips, if the changes that they see in themselves and their kids. Awesome. Thank you, Danielle. Oh my God. I love you so much. Where can people find you? I have a podcast called Unlock the Sugar Shackles. Jamie's going to be one of my upcoming guests. And I have an Instagram. I hang out on Instagram a lot and make a lot of content that makes a lot of this easier to understand because I put it into graphics. I'm a very visual person. I think it really helps with the visuals. So my handle is Danielle Hamilton Health. That's my website as well, DanielleHamiltonHealth.com. And then if you are interested in learning more about this for you, uh, for the moms, I have a program called Blood Sugar Mastery. And that program will take you step-by-step through all these changes and how to implement them, how to test your blood sugar, what that means, how to support your digestive tract and your gut and all the things we talked about, how to support your adrenals through this very stressful time, how to really nourish your body so that it becomes where you're like, I can't believe this is as easy as it is. That is always what my clients say. It's not about white knuckling it. If you are white knuckling, not being on sugar, 
and carbs, there's something wrong. It shouldn't feel like that. At the beginning, there might be a little transition, a little detox that goes on. But after that, it should feel like, wow, oh my gosh, I have so much freed up space. I feel so different. I think too, I like the idea of like, it's so confusing, especially on Instagram, where the way that Facebook, I'm off Facebook, but Facebook wasn't like this. Like everybody's a fucking expert. And you go on, I know what works for my body and I get confused. I go on there and I'm like, wait, maybe, it, wait, am I doing something wrong? And so I like the idea that insulin is king, blood sugar is where it's queen. at. And so I think that gives you, yeah, queen. And I think it gives you a good basis of like, oh, okay, just cut out the noise. It doesn't have to be this diet, that diet, this way of eating, this way of eating, like what works best for your body. To me, it's a nice umbrella that's not confusing. And if you want the science, go to Danielle's Instagram profile, the link in her bio, there's all these glucose monitors and you can get a continuous glucose monitor and actually get that information for yourself. And then you know. Exactly. And we use that in the program because the program is about bringing more awareness to how things affect you. Because when we know and we can read the symptoms of the body, like, oh, I'm burping after meals. Like, what does that mean? It means you need more stomach acid. Like, and if you don't have enough stomach acid, you can't digest protein well. If you can't digest protein well, you're going to potentially be anxious. You're going to be bloated. You're going to set the stage for food sensitivities. It's like, what? It's so crazy how you can just learn so much about your body so you can heal yourself because no one's coming to save you. These doctors, unfortunately you know, God bless them. They got into this to try to help people, but the system that they're trained in, they're drug pushers. It's sick care. Like if you want a pharmaceutical, which is totally fine, we have them, you know, they can be helpful, go there. But if you want like that deep healing, that's the work that you have to do yourself and you have to learn yourself. And I really make the program very bio-individual too, because what you need, Jamie, is going to be different from what I need, what's different from the next person. Everyone has a different journey. Yeah. And I think it's so valuable to have data. Even if you just want to come back to me and be like, fuck off, Jamie, I wore a continuous glucose monitor and I can have a banana by itself. So you're full of shit. Good. Find out what works for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if you want to come back and rub it in my face, like get the data for you. And I think that's the most important thing. And then one thing I find is you can't close your eyes anymore. Once your eyes are open, you can't close them. And I feel like that a lot of people have blinders on because they don't want to give up a certain thing or this feels restrictive or that feels restrictive. La, 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 la. I'm not going to pay attention. And you know, you have to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. I will let you go. We've talked for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I could talk to you forever. So it was, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> talk to you soon. Awesome. All right. Thanks guys. I appreciate you. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.